Hello, friends. Hi. Welcome to Lunchtime Live. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here today. And I've got with me Catherine McNeil. Say hello, Catherine. Hi, everyone. So good to be here at lunch. <laughs> at lunch. That's right. Uh, this is Lunchtime Live, a part of a weekly broadcast from Three Minute Ministry Mentor. We are now in our fourth season, and we are here to inspire your pastoral imagination and to uh, inform you about all things related to the practice of ministry. And uh, we're delighted you could join us today. And I'm delighted to have as my guest, uh, Catherine McNeil. And Catherine, welcome. We're so glad you're here today. Oh, thank you, Eileen. I'm pleased to be here. Thrilled. <laughs> well, I thought it'd be fun to start out by talking a little bit about Valentine's Day and Galentine's Day. We've been last night at dinner, my family brought up this, you know, question. Uh, my, my daughter says she's going to go to a Galentine's Day event and she didn't know what that is. My husband doesn't know what that is. And I'm, I'm like having to educate them about Galentine's Day. So today I have on my shirt with all the uh, uh, hearts all over it. And um, Galentine's Day, of course, is the day before Valentine's Day and the time when uh, people get together and enjoy some fun. Usually it's kind of gals, women getting together who are friends and sharing great food and I think the favorite food is waffles, right? I've been invited and been involved in a few Galentine's Day events. Um, so it just seemed like a fun thing to mention today um, that somebody can start something like that and then it takes off is kind of hilarious. So yeah. are, do you have big plans for Valentine's or Galentine's, Catherine? Uh, you know, I don't have plans for either one. <laughs> because uh, you have been launching a book. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> this, <laughs> this week has had enough joy in it and love already. Uh, my husband kind of said, and I, my husband and I kind of said in passing yesterday in the kitchen, like Monday is Valentine's, but we're, are we? No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we're just so, going to let that pass this year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that is understandable. You are still in book launch week right now. Yeah. That is so exciting. Yeah. It's been quite How a week. How are you feeling? How are you holding up? Um. I'm doing well. It's been a great, it's been a great week. I'm grateful for all the readers and the supporters and people who have uh, been willing to read an early copy or to pre-order or to who got their copy in the mail and have taken a picture of it and put it online. Oh, here it is right here. Um, awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's, got it's a, mail. as I, I was, you know, just saying to you before we started, it's such a strange week because so much of the work that we do, you know, writing the book, even, so many of the interviews that we do that air during launch time, we've already, we've spent the past months doing it. So yeah. it, it feels like the climax and the, the peak, but it's kind of, like I said, it's like uh, giving birth, but somehow the baby comes out in a different building than the one you're in. So I don't know. Hopefully a, people yeah. around the world are enjoying fearing bravely, but I'm just here in my house. Awesome. Well, we're. I want to. I want to tell everyone a little more about you, and uh, why we're so grateful that to have you today. Uh, <clears throat> I was talking about Valentine's Day, and that's really about friendship. And Catherine's a new friend. We've really only known each other maybe a year and a half or so. We've been part of a, the same writers group, and um, Catherine is an a writer, an author, a, an editor, a speaker. 
uh, she is really, as she says in her words, searching for the creative, redemptive work of God in our ordinary lives. What a beautiful way to put that. Uh, she writes to start conversations that bring together theology and real life and open eyes to God's ongoing presence in the world. And that's such a great fit with what we do at Three Minute Ministry Mentor. It seemed so obvious we should invite you on. And of course, this week we've been saying has been launch week for... Uh, fearing bravely. We're so excited. Yeah. Here it is. I got my copy in the mail awesome. this week. Uh, the Me press too. did a great job of getting it out. Yep. There's a big, beautiful oh. version of the book there for everybody to uh, enjoy seeing. Um, we are doing these uh, weekly, not every week, but most weeks in 2022, we'll be doing these uh, lunchtime lives. So it, it also seems like a good time as people are gathering to hear us, like, what are we having for lunch, friends? Uh, have you given some thought to lunch today, Catherine? <laughs> you know, I lucked out. My daughter made herself a lunch and then realized she was having a pizza party at school. So oh. I got to eat her lunch, which was okay. a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and an orange, you know, but... Well. It was someone else made it. So you didn't have to make it, right? I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I, I my favorite lunch in the world is leftovers. Oh, me too. Me too. I like making enough dinner that I can have leftovers, although I'm not really sure on Friday that we have much in the way of leftovers. So no. I'm probably gonna be having uh, some version of peanut butter and jelly myself. So <laughs> perfect lunch for today. I hope those of us you who are joining us have some good lunch to munch on while we chat together uh, today. <clears throat> so bef um, I want to let people know right now that if uh, if you're watching and you don't yet have a copy of Fearing Bravely, uh, we want you to buy one, of course. But we also uh, are going to be giving away a copy this week. I'm super excited about that. And uh, we'll tell you more about how you can get in on that drawing for uh, the book a little later in our conversation today. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to ask some questions um, to Catherine to get her to tell us, to get you, Catherine, to tell us more about fearing bravely. And I want to start with that sort of, you know, favorite question people love to ask mm -hmm. authors, which is what inspired you to write this book? What grabbed you so you felt like this is the book you want to write? That is a great question. Uh, you know, the, the book writing process is so long that I don't think very many of us end up with the with the book we necessarily thought we were setting out to write. Um, there's just so much that changes in us as we research and wrestle with the ideas um, and the research. And um, but I mostly write spiritual formation material and books. Um, I it matters to me how we view the world around us, how we are formed, um, how we are being intentional, even in little things, even in how we take a breath, you know, um, and how that changes who we are and how we connect with God and with others. And I was thinking years ago, <laughs> uh, when I first started, two or three years ago, writing this book about the way that fear is being very formative in our society right now, I think. And, and it often has been throughout human history. Um, it's such a compelling experience 
And yeah. when we are being warned that there is danger to us, to our family, to values that we hold dear, um, we will we will surrender a lot um, mm -hmm. to protect these things that we are being warned about. And um, it, and that can be very very formative. And I'm. I've been observing the way that our society, but in particular Christian society, is being formed and discipled by fear rather than being formed and discipled by love. And kind of the dissonance that I see between what Jesus is inviting us to in the Gospels and in the New Testament and what God is inviting us to really throughout the entire Bible is a life lived not necessarily in a naive, safe assuming that everything is fine, but a life that is honest about danger and suffering, but yet says our only hope is to move our eyes off of these warnings and fear, which creates so much danger itself and place our eyes on God's love. And then uh, we have a chance to bring shalom to our communities. Um, we have a chance in God's love to actually transform a dangerous situation into something that can be life-giving for everyone. So I really wanted to wrestle kind of with that dissonance of okay. God's invitation that we be discipled by love, but yet so often our decision to be discipled by fear. Yeah. I love that you're wrestling with that, those questions. And, um, thinking about uh, that long process of how, I, I don't know your process of how the book finally evolved, but it has evolved into this uh, current version of itself. And so now I want you to think on the other end of the process. What do you want people to do after they've read your book or while they're reading your book? Yeah, um, man, I... I am excited for people to read this and to ideally read it together and in conversation. Um, the subtitle is Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. And so I am particularly applying Jesus' teaching about loving your neighbor, caring for strangers, and Jesus extends this even to loving our enemies. And so the book is broken into those sections to say, to wrestle with fear, how how have we been fearing instead of loving neighbors, strangers, enemies? And I think what I would love for the reader to, to experience as they read is to really reflect on some of that dissonance that I mentioned before. You know, how is what we theoretically believe different from the way that we are actually forming ourselves and our communities? Um, and then I think to get together and and wrestle together about how can we change the conversation. Um, I do give really practical steps at the end of every section, okay. but I think I think the practicalities are going to be best figured out in community. You know, like you know what your local community needs, and it's going to be right. different from mine. Um, so what looking what loving your neighbors looks like is going to be different than loving mine. But yeah. if we could change the conversation. Um, that's what I want. I want the conversation to change a bit because we spend so much time talking about how dangerous our neighbors are, strangers are, enemies are. What if we spent some time saying, okay, but how can we love them? Yeah. That's the conversation I want to have. Right. 
I hear that loud and clear in the the chapters I've read. And I, I love that you are reminding us continuously. And I think you do that so well with the way you weave in the biblical story throughout. I appreciate that about the book. Um, you are talking about love. You're also talking about us taking some risk yeah. as people of faith. What would you say is kind of the edgiest thing you are asking people to do when they read your book? Well, I mean, I think one of the edgiest things that Jesus asked us to do is to expand this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you've heard that, and we have, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute yeah. you. And I don't know that it gets harder or edgier or riskier than that. And when we actually start to let the rubber meet the road, um, you know, how I don't know that we think about having enemies that often, but if you look at the way, you know, read internet comments, <laughs> turn on the cable, turn on a cable channel. Yeah. We are constantly talking as though we have enemies and we hate them. Um I think that the, the rubber of that invitation from Jesus to love even our enemies is, that's going to be a tough one for us. It is that's for right. me. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, you know, I say the same thing in my book that just came out this year, which it, I don't treat it at the length you do, but throughout my teaching and my ministry as a, a an ordained mm -hmm. minister, I've tried to do the same. So I really appreciate that you're holding these together. You don't just say love your neighbor and love yourself and let's do the self-care and the love of neighbor, but also we got to love our neighbors, our, our neighbors who look like, or we think are our enemies and how do yeah. we reframe an understanding of that? Jesus yeah. absolutely pushed us all to do that. It yeah. just, I don't know, invited push. Jesus does what Jesus does and it <laughs> provokes yeah. a lot of things in us. Um, as you know, probably, uh, a lot of the folks that that we uh, relate to with Three Minute Ministry Mentor are, in fact, in leadership roles yeah. in communities of faith, in mm -hmm. churches, in, as chaplains, as activists. Um, and I'm wondering what you hope the the folks who are in leadership roles can do with your book. Mm. Uh, what what's what should they be thinking about doing with your book with the people that they lead and care for? Well, uh, that's another great question. My editor and publisher and I really kind of were intentional about making uh, Fearing Bravely accessible and useful, specifically to ministry leaders and pastors. Um, my publisher, NavPress, has a website with mm -hmm. a facilitator's guide and even like graphics that you could use if you wanted to uh, to read in community, because that's what we're hoping will happen. Um, you know, <laughs> Jesus... Uh, mission to overcome evil with love is not something I can do by myself. You know, it has to be a team project. And so while I definitely hope that individuals will read the book, I mostly am hoping that churches will read it together, that ministry teams will read it together and wrestle together with what does this look like for me, but what does this look like for us? Um, so I'd be happy to Try to throw up that uh, that that link if I if, yeah. if I have we'll, a minute. We'll find it. Yeah, I think okay. we'll, or if you've got it handy, we'll, we'd love to see it. I don't know we'll how handy, it. but <laughs> okay. Don't 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 stress yourself out finding yeah. it. We will share it with people. Yeah. Um, and even even if you don't find the the free facilitators guide and and the graphics and all that kind of thing, um, like I said, every section ends with 
reflection questions, discussion questions, practices that we can try together or individually, even um, suggestions of music to listen to or art to look at while you're kind of allowing these teachings of Jesus to marinate, yeah, not yeah. just into our heads, I think, but we want it to go all the way in. Um, yeah. I saw that you were recommending art and music and I, I love that. I think that's underutilized in our teaching that we do in seminaries and in churches mm -hmm. and in mm -hmm. religious communities. Yeah. Uh, we could do a lot better and a lot more, including mm -hmm. art and music to help us integrate what we're learning and how we want to change our lives. So I was yeah. really grateful to see those, those right. links in there. Um, yeah. I'm, Last week, we <clears throat> we focused on how to give ourselves permission to grieve. Mm. This mm. last two years has had so much uh, grief in it, in, yeah. in the oh, years, yeah. in the time, in our lives. And I'm just wondering what it's been like for you to write a book about mm. fearing bravely during this two years of global pandemic and yeah. all that's come with that. You know, I signed the contract for this book right before the pandemic started. So even though I had envisioned writing about love versus fear, especially related to enemies, strangers, and uh, neighbors, that was backwards, but uh, <laughs> I'd envisioned that before all that has happened in the past two years, but I actually wrote it in, in the thick of it. Uh, my husband and my children were sheltering in place in a different room from where I wrote this book, but in the same building. So... Um, it, it definitely, it was a rubber meeting the road kind of couple of years, you know, uh, I think we've really not been able to, we have not had the privilege of neglecting these ideas. We are thinking about being afraid, or we are thinking about loving, we are thinking about our neighbors, we are thinking about strangers, we're thinking about enemies all the time and how we define that and how we respond is changes everything. Thank you for thinking back on that and telling us. I mean, I think the more we tell each other the stories of what we have lived through and how we have um, coped, navigated, tried to get through it, uh, yeah. the more encouraging it is to to each other uh, just for okay. life, right? Yeah. So yeah. thank you for telling us about that. I, I, I had a similar experience of finishing a book <laughs> once the pandemic began. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. The main, you know, right here in the title, fearing bravely. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about fear for a minute. Um, okay. And I, I also have tried to address fear uh, in, in the three minute ministry mentor. And I, I do with my students uh, all the time. I try to, to work on that with um, uh, seminary students and with people I've led, you know, in ministries mm -hmm. that I've been a part of. And there's a few things that I think really resonated <clears throat> between our books. And I was, I was going to read just a little snippet of what I said and ask you to respond then by telling us about what you've learned about facing fear. But let me okay. read a little bit from, uh, from pastoral imagination. Um, I'm actually uh, reading from uh, toward the back of the book, a chapter about facing fears. It's, uh, it can be hard to admit uh, to our fears, much less to face them. Uh, fear of loss, fear of disappointment, fear of not getting what you want and fear of getting it. Fear of walking down the street, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of staying in relationship or fear of leaving it. Fear is a powerful motivator for action. 
and inaction. Fear can play a role in every aspect of the practice of ministry, in congregational life, the work of chaplaincy, activism, college ministry, preaching, leading change, and so on. <clears throat> and why? Because fear is human, and humans are at the heart of every ministry. So I want to ask you to talk about what you've learned about that reality of fear that I'm talking about, and then you tell me what you've been able to do to help people move out of being ensnared by fear. Yeah. Well, I start out the book talking about fear as a frenemy. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. It's what the kids say these days for not kind of a friend, but kind of an enemy, you know? And I think that's the role that fear plays in our lives because as you said, fear is human and it's a necessary and good part about being human. I write about how my intrepid toddlers would run into the street to chase a ball or just for fun, you know, or try to jump out of our third story apartment window and keeping them alive was touch and go for a long time. But over time, they experienced pain as a result of their, you know, falling down. Unfortunately, no one got hit by a car and no one actually jumped out of a window. But over time, they realized that some of their choices led to skinned knees or pinched fingers or burned, burned elbows. And it changed their processing so that they could make wiser decisions. So fear is something that we need to survive, to grow, even to love. We need fear. But like so many things that we need, we're not good at regulating. And we're not good at saying, okay, this is enough. And now I've had too much. And I'm going to feed on something else for a while. And so people with power or people who want power are expert at knowing how to manipulate this good aspect of being human um, so that we will worship them. Basically, we'll give them our time and our energy and our money and our attention because they have learned how to manipulate our fear to keep us passive and submitted to them. And that's where I think we get into trouble. Um, We become so focused on self-preservation Mm-hmm. And often I think it's mis- misguided and misplaced. It's mm-hmm. based off of faulty messages or fake news. Um, yeah. And we become the danger. We don't even realize that out of self-preservation, we have neglected the people that could have been our friends, could have been mm-hmm. our, our neighbors, and the, also the people that Jesus has called us to love and to be in relationship with. And um, I think that's why I called it fearing bravely. I didn't want to say fear is bad or don't fear. Um, I want us to learn to put it in its right place um, and, and be wise about what we're afraid of. Because I'm afraid that Christians are neglecting our neighbors and our strangers and our enemies. And Jesus said his number one priority is that we love them. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that we're, we're neglecting that. Thank you. It's really um, feels like a very important part of how we are going to live through this time that we're in right now. I mean, it's uh, not just the pandemic, but the sort of where we are in the global moment of seven billion neighbors. And how do we how do we find a space to love uh, more fully instead of giving into our fears of scarcity and all the rest? So um, 
thank you for all of that. Uh, I'm wondering if you would read a little something uh, for us today. We'd love to hear a bit of the book itself. Um, what could we, could we possibly get you to read a little bit of say the second chapter? Uh, <laughs> I love that moment where you, you talk about your husband coming no. out of the bed. <laughs> second chapter it is. All right. This is from the, the first page and a half of chapter two, which is called Unsafe and Unafraid. All right. My husband loves a good afternoon nap. On Sundays, I often find myself backing quietly out of our bedroom as he mumbles, wake me up in 30 minutes. Half an hour later, though, I don't tiptoe back in. I make as much noise as possible. He goes from dead asleep to standing up straight in no more than one second. Somehow his subconscious tells him it's time to defend the family from intruders. And grateful as I am for this instinct, I prefer to be well out of the way. Once the initial shock is over, he sinks back into the bed to awaken more slowly while I nervously chuckle and mumble something soothing like, everything's fine. Most of the time, we assure our startled loved ones that they needn't be afraid because nothing is wrong. Their amygdala are set to misfire and they need a reorientation. You're safe at home. It was just a bad dream. You let your imagination get the better of you. Like people first arriving in the good place, we emphasize the stability of their environment. Everything is fine. Sometimes though, everything is not fine. Sometimes the moment of shock is followed by hardship and pain. When I was a kid, my parents slept with a rotary landline phone next to their bed. The ringer always turned on. My dad was the pastor. It wasn't uncommon for him and my mom to be needed in the middle of the night. Tragedy often announces itself with a late night phone call. Have you ever been pulled from deep sleep by the dreaded ring of a telephone? There's a sacred heaviness in the darkness during the second or two after you're jolted awake, but before you've heard the news. You know life is about to change, but for one last breath, you're still on this side of normal. Imagine then, if in that fear-filled moment, the words you heard went against every impulse you felt. Imagine hearing, don't be afraid. Um, I'll leave off reading there, but the rest of this chapter looks at the times that God or an angel or a messenger or a prophet or Jesus do appear to someone and say, don't be afraid. And how, unlike my husband waking up from a nap, in almost every instance, these people were in an incredibly dangerous situation or in a time that was filled with suffering. It's not that God is naive to reality. It's not that God thinks we are just absolutely safe and we're overreacting. That's never what God is saying. What God is saying to people who are in dangerous situations or given almost impossible missions to complete is I am with you and my love is stronger even than the grave. So what do you have left to fear? And that is, I think, one of the main realities from the Bible that I would love Christians to wrestle with anew because I think we've lost sight of it. Um, our question is, are we safe or are we unsafe? Mm. But Jesus' question is, 
assuming, I think, that we're unsafe, that the things he's asked us to do are dangerous, that life is full of suffering. And he says, don't be afraid because I am with you, because I am alive, because God's love is stronger even than the grave. So what more do we have to fear? Beautiful. So I want to put it in these terms. If we are living in an un... I mean, everything about life includes risk. We've already talked about risk. Yes. We are not safe in the ways we want to fantasize about being yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when we feel afraid, when you feel afraid, Catherine, <laughs> what do you give yourself permission to do in mm. that moment? Oh, wow. You know, I, I do feel afraid. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a six. So I being feeling safe is really important to me. So I am not mm. downplaying that human desire and need at all. It's very real to me. And I tell a lot of really poor, a lot of really personal stories in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't write about this in the book, but I've thought a lot recently about Peter trying to walk to Jesus on the waves and how, um, uh, that's a good metaphor. I think for what I'm giving myself permission to do is, not to say this is a <laughs> this is a crazy risky thing I'm trying, but I feel like God has asked me to do it, and so I'm not going to look at the crazy. I give myself permission to take a break from looking at the crazy, and keep my eyes on Jesus and mm -hmm. and meditate for a moment on God's love. Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I'm giving all of us permission to do in this book. Um, comes from a really ancient, an ancient writing called the Didache, and I'm sure I'm not saying it right. Um, it was written almost alongside the New Testament. It's an ancient, ancient writing of the, some of the earliest Christians, and it says, do as much as you can. And I just love that. I feel like mm -hmm. so often when it comes to, when we start looking seriously at what Jesus has asked us to do, we get overwhelmed because it's too much. Like we can't do it and we can't, we cannot finish this task. That's why it's been a 2000 year long task already. And our, our lives are but a breath. We can't do it, but we can contribute a little piece. And I think too often we let the perfect get in the way of the good. And so our, our, our choices when it comes to following Jesus aren't do it perfectly or never begin. Just do as much as you can. Do yeah. as much as you can. Yeah, that's, it reminds me of uh, the sayings of John Wesley also, right? About do all you can uh, mm -hmm. for the sake of love. And <clears throat> I love that you're putting it in those terms. It's really uh, a beautiful way to mm -hmm. uh, express what we can do, do what we can do and give ourselves permission to do what we can do. Yeah. Uh, and, and not, um, just be paralyzed by fear. That kind right. of is what it comes down to, right? Yeah. Um, we have, uh, I like to, to bring kind of a conclusion with my interviews with authors that by offering this space, which is um, we ask a lot of questions at Three Minute Ministry Mentor, a lot of big open-ended questions. And I'm curious to know what questions you're living by right now. Maybe they keep you up at night. Maybe they uh, are important for your 
own learning at the moment, but what, what questions are you living with uh, in these yeah. days? Well, like I said at the very beginning, being a writer means wrestling for a long time with the ideas and questions it takes a reader just a couple of hours to, to get through. And I think so often, especially as I'm doing these interviews of the, that passage that Paul says, not that I have already attained all this, you know, I write these books because I need to wrestle with these ideas. And so I think, I think these are the questions that keep me up at night. Um, how have I let fear disciple me away from love? Mm. How can I join a group of Jesus followers who are committed to overcoming evil, um, mm. not ignoring evil, not secluding myself from evil, but how can we overcome evil? That's so active, you know, like yeah. that's something I can do by plugging my ears or running and hiding. Um, and the passage in Romans that talks about overcoming evil talks about things like caring for people who are in need and, and being gentle with each other. That's how we overcome evil. And so that's, that's the, those are the questions keeping me up at night. Thank what you. What if we really did it? What if we really tried it? Yeah. How would it change things? That's right. Good questions. Great questions. Uh, those of you who are joining us right now in this conversation uh, with Catherine McNeil about her new book, um, Fearing Bravely, uh, you have a chance uh, to win your own copy. Now, we want you to go buy a copy, <laughs> of course, uh, but you can have a chance to win a copy of her book. We're going to draw actually for the book on February the 18th. So if you go over to 3mmm.us, welcome and register for our weekly email where you'll get uh, this video uh, that Catherine and I are creating right now live. Uh, you'll get that video. You'll get um, a chance to win her new book and lots of other great stuff to support you in your practice of ministry. That's where I hold that book up there. Maybe we should both hold the book up at the same time. <laughs> That's a good shot. That's right. There we go. And um, we're just really grateful. Uh, that you could uh, come and spend a little time with us today. Uh, Catherine, we're grateful for the book that you've written, The Labor of Your Own Love. You said it was like labor and yes. the delivery now of the book, that love into yes. the world. And it will take on a have a life of its own. We know that that happens. Um, and friends, I hope that you will come back and join us again uh, next week or other Fridays this, uh, this spring. And we're going to keep talking about um, lots of important things, including how we give ourselves permission to do the small things uh, so that we can do the big things that we're called to, like writing and ministry and parenting and being who only each one of us can be in the world, uh, not living in fear, but living in love, as Catherine has so beautifully said. Mm -hmm. So we really want to leave you uh, with this question. 